one thing that startup founders should be learning from the current times, I think it's that slow and steady can often truly win the race. What I've witnessed over the last couple of years is a lot of startups and founders and really the entire industry learning a great lesson, which is that money and capital is not always readily flowing, right? It's not as reliable as the public water system for those who consider that to be reliable. What this means is that this grow at all costs mentality has been arguably the most expensive mistake an industry has ever made. From my own personal experience, COVID hit, I lost my job. We downsized, right? The company was preparing to raise a round of capital and they had to be positioned strategically for that to be a success, which means it's time to hire that next level of executive leadership team and prepare the company for its next phase of growth right? We hear this all the time in startup land. We need to bring in that next executive who has the experience at the next phase. Quick reminder, anyone who has experience at any phase of growth at one point in time, they did that for the first time in their life. If you go back and look at most of these folks' careers, you will find that the best they ever did was usually the first time they did it. Think about that for a moment. So we're running an entire industry where we're looking for VPs and C-level execs who have experience getting to that next stage or getting through that specific stage. But when you usually look at their resumes, if they've done it multiple times, the time that it was most successful was usually the first time that they did it. This tells me that perhaps the industry would be better off letting their team grow into these roles and not jumping to replace everyone every time that they raise the next round of funding, the next round of funding, the next round of funding, especially because we can't rely on that money to just keep coming, 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 coming. So if you're building a business that is focused on burning capital and relying on raising more capital so that you can keep burning it and just keep hiring more and more people, and every few months basically fire your leadership team and start from scratch because you think you need this for your next phase of growth. I've always known in my gut that this is just not necessary in most cases. I never had any way of proving it other than knowing that logically, no one has ever done something successfully and always had experience doing it. There's always a first time that they do it. And the irony is, when you look at most of these folks' careers, their biggest success was usually the first time they did something. And I think that that's because human nature is you want to prove yourself. You want to prove that you can do something. And something changes after you've proven you could do it. You tend to go into that job with a very different mindset. Number one, you're going to go in there and probably try to do everything the way you did it last time because it worked. You make the mistake of not realizing these two companies are probably quite different. So someone having experience doing something at one company, it doesn't really make them more prepared to do it at the next. And this relates to all levels. You see this in sales. Someone could be a top salesperson at one company. They go to another software company and just be absolutely terrible at selling the product. It's the same thing in leadership. Just because they were great at scaling a team at a certain company doesn't mean they're going to be great at doing it at another company, even if the products are similar, even if the target markets are similar. They're going to have different challenges. Every company has different challenges, unique challenges. And every time that you exit an executive who has months or years of experience at that company, even if you bring someone in who has more experience, their experience is irrelevant to that particular specific company. And you've now just lost a massive amount of institutional knowledge 
because you lost someone who just spent two, three years learning the inner workings of your company. And now someone else has to start from scratch doing that. And then the economy plummets and you can no longer afford to pay these people and you lose them. And now you got nothing. I've seen this happen many times. It's happened to me. It's happened to the entire industry. And I think that there has to come a point in time where we realize that we should stop repeating the same mistakes. Perhaps if people hired a leader, they should invest in keeping and retaining that leader and letting them grow and flourish into the role long term. It won't be perfect. They will not be perfect. They will not crush quota every single quarter for an infinite amount of years, but they won't have to literally every two to three years keep starting from scratch, relearning a business from the inside out. And you know how frustrating that is for the team to have to keep, oh, every two years, we got a new leader here now who knows nothing about the company. This is not good. These things generally are not good and they generally don't work. They provide value in only one area. And I'm sorry if this offends anyone, but the value in this whole strategic maneuver of cycling executives in and out, the value is that it provides a new narrative for the next board uh, investor pitch. That's it. We have a board pitch. Maybe we do it every quarter. Maybe we do it once a year. We're going to raise a new round, whatever. We have to have a narrative. And that narrative tends to be, sorry, we didn't hit the sales numbers that we promised you in our last narrative, but don't worry because when we get to the next slide, we're going to tell you how we're going to do it now. And we're going to tell you that the last presentation uh, where we got you all excited about our VP of sales or whatever, um, well, we made a mistake there, a small mistake, no big deal. But let me come to the next slide because here is our new VP of sales or here is our new chief customer officer or here is our new chief marketing officer. And this person, this is the one, this is it. So you should get in on this round of funding because we got this big master plan with this new person. They got all this experience. This is the one. Somehow these investors, they don't sit here and say, uh, that's basically the same thing that you said to us last time about the last person. But they don't say it. And do you want to know why they don't say it? It's not because they don't know it. It's because they look at the delivery of the pitch and they say, okay, we could sell this to other investors. We could get them on board with this. This sounds good. We could probably get the valuation up with this, uh, this narrative here. There's no one sitting in that room actually thinking if any of this is true, if any of this is going to work. In fact, they all know it's mostly BS. It's called passing the buck. Someone has to be blamed for the fact that we couldn't hit these numbers that we promised, even though if any of the people who promised the numbers were said, hey, you know, would you bet your mother's life on hitting these numbers? Uh, would you sacrifice your own job in this company and your equity if you don't hit these numbers? What are you willing to put on the line towards these numbers? No one asks these questions. Why? Because no one thinks the numbers are obtainable anyway, but they don't really care. You just have to create an illusion, a narrative that says they're attainable. And as long as they are, you can convince uh, investors who are swimming in cash to risk some of that cash on this venture. And if they put their first dollar in at a certain valuation, as long as the narrative can get the next batch of dollars to be at a slightly higher valuation, then it really doesn't matter if we hit our sales targets or if we have happy customers or if our product even works, none of these things really matter. Except that nowadays we're living in a world where the money is, it's gone. 
It's not just flowing. Money is, the printing press has been turned off. I was going to say so to speak, but it's not so to speak. It's that's specifically what has happened. The printing press has been turned off. And so companies now are actually having to think like real businesses. And they have to start to think about the fact that they spend money. They have some money that comes in, some money that goes out, and you got to kind of balance this thing. Who would have thought that that's a critical ingredient to growing a business? Uh, But it is. And it always has been. It's just been uh, ignored for many years in this industry because we have focused on these narratives that have provided essentially no value to the industry other than to inflate valuations and pretty much steal money from people. There's really no better way to sum that up. So where am I going with this? It's deep. I get it. But someone's got to say it. Everyone's thinking it for how many years now? I hope companies walk away from this with a more sound understanding of what it means to start a business, to build a company, to recruit and hire people. You're dealing with people's lives. They should not just be slide three in your board presentation. They're a human being. And they invest their lives, their emotions, their hearts into helping to build these companies. They deserve at least an ounce of loyalty in return. You cannot think about your next executive hire as a contributing piece to your narrative. You have to think of them as a human being. You have to think, should I have this person get excited about my company? Does it really make sense? Do I really want them to be a part of this for the long haul? If they continue to show up, work hard, learn, and improve every single day, will I stick by their side? Everyone's true colors have been shown over the last couple of years. I hold no hard feelings, but I also no longer hold back the words that need to be said. This industry has a lot of growing up to do, and hard times can trigger those sort of growth uh, periods. And we're going through one right now. We are. But I urge and implore founders and VCs and angel investors and board members to please start thinking about your business in the long term. Stop thinking about how to hack the valuation through the roof in two years, three years, whatever. It's bullshit. And it will be your legacy. That will be your legacy that you got rich by inflating the valuation of a business that was never really that valuable. Many people are okay with that. I don't like you if you are. Just to be clear, there's two different types of people. There's people that are okay with cheating a system and essentially stealing money from people while leaving all of their employees or whatever to just be very secondary to that mission. And then there are people that build businesses because they want to make a great product, a great service. They want to deliver value to the world, and they want to create a great employment experience for the people who joined their team. Now, what's funny and interesting about these two groups of people is that they both advertise themselves to be the latter. I think it's about time these companies start stepping up to the plate and delivering on that promise. And if they can't, then stop hiring employees and just start hiring contractors for everything. Stop making these promises of people coming to be a part of the journey when you have no intention in being loyal to that commitment. I think there's a brighter path forward. I think that path forward is that companies are going to have significantly less employees. They're going to contract everything out. And people like myself 
are going to become in control of their own domain. Because if you want our talents, you're going to pay for our time and that's it. We're just not going to trust the long-term promises. We're not going to trust the equity in your company that's never going to vest or then it's going to get diluted down. Like people are getting smarter, largely because we have ChatGPT and things that will make us smarter. But I just think this is a moment in history that B2B SaaS needs to sit on, think on, and really digest properly. Those who don't will have a very difficult time moving forward much further. I'll leave it at that. I love this industry. I do. I love it deeply because the opportunity and the excitement that it brings, these are things you can't necessarily find everywhere. And in addition to that, it is arguably the only industry in the world that innovates and moves at a pace in which it should. It moves fast. You ever work at a tech company? You want to make some change? You want to move some things around? It moves fast. And that brings a lot of excitement. It also brings a lot of downside because a lot of people make emotional decisions, stupid decisions, dumb decisions, short-minded decisions, or ego-based decisions. I know a lot of people have learned this lesson. A lot of founders are thinking, if I could just rewind time two or three years, I probably wouldn't have fired that person. I probably wouldn't have hired all these people. I probably wouldn't have gotten so overly aggressive in raising capital. I probably would have focused on doing the right thing and building a business that actually would generate some profit. But instead, I got greedy and I focused on the wrong things. And I really just cared about lifting the valuation of the company so that I could take some money off the table and kind of ensure my own safety while not really giving a crap about anyone else, customers, employees, partners, whatever. This is a bad way to think about business. And no one should work for a company that is run by people who think that way. So what are you better off doing? If you shouldn't just get rid of your VPs because you're ready for the next round of funding and ne next phase of growth, we're going to go recruit someone who's got that experience. What should you do? I think the right thing to do and what I always wanted as that person in that role was for the company to invest in me, help me grow into that role. If you think there's something I am missing, help me get there because I want to, I'm willing to learn. I'm far more motivated than someone who has already achieved that in their life. If I am missing something as my employer, it should be your duty to make me aware of that and to work with me to help me get there, to at least provide that opportunity. I think in most cases, you will find that you will get a better result. You're going to get loyalty from a person over time. You're going to get that first achievement level of drive and ambition, that baby mindset intuition, right? And you're going to get the compounding effect of someone actually having been at your company for a very long time. And that's something that so many of these high growth startups are lacking because of the heavy and excessive turnover, especially on the leadership team. And I will point out to you the main number one reason that that is catastrophic in a software business, not only because of the effects it has on the team and customers, that's obvious. But when you're dealing with software, it's technical, it's complex. There is a lot to learn. The longer the company is around, the more features the product has, the more competitors it has, the more integrations it has, the more a person needs to actually comprehend to really be relevant in any meeting at that company. How much does it suck when you have the new executive member in all the meetings and they just don't get the product? They just don't get it. And it's going to take so long for them to get there. It slows the whole group down. If you've been in a scaling software company, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
And this is something that is probably never factored into the decision of, should we keep turning over our VPs and topping them with someone with more experience? This experience, it's valuable. I don't want to say that it's not. There's a reason that I would be a great VP now, better in certain areas than I would have if I did it for the first time. But it doesn't mean that if you have someone at that company now who's a director of sales, who knows the company in and out, that they haven't been a VP before, it doesn't mean that they don't deserve that shot before bringing me in. They do. What you should do is hire someone like me to coach them, mentor them, train them, that type of stuff. And this isn't self-promotion. I, I guess it turned into one, but that's not the intent. The point is that that's actually what you should do, which is why I actually got into the line of work that I got into because I saw that gap in the market. I left Aircall during COVID at the very start, and we were just entering a pandemic. Remote work was unheard of. It was not a thing, especially for a vice president of sales at this time. This would have not been something that would have ever been considered at that point in time. This is how much culture has changed that at this moment in time, I literally was not comfortable even entertaining a full-time job offer over just Zoom interactions. To me, it seems so out of the realm of reality. Like, of course, I would have to meet them in person. Of course, to make that level of commitment to a company, I would have to see them in person. And we're in a lockdown, a pandemic right now. We can't do that. So what options do I have, right? And I'm taking these different interview calls. People were trying to recruit me. And what I realized there is, well, number one, I'm not prepared to commit to a full-time job over Zoom. It just, we weren't living in that world yet. It felt very, very weird. And just like something that you just wouldn't do. It would be the comparison to like agreeing to marry someone from online dating without meeting them. Like you just wouldn't do it. But nowadays it's quickly grown into something that's very normal with the teams that are distributed. And it's just become like, this is the new work culture for some companies or some roles that you're just never going to have much more than a digital interaction. And I think that's fine. That's a, whatever. But that's what pushed me to getting into consulting because I was taking these calls. And on one hand, I didn't want to make that level of a commitment over Zoom. On the other hand, I realized that a lot of these founders actually didn't need a VP of sales. They actually didn't need to hire me full time. They usually had a manager or a director or someone that if they had me helping that person, they could actually become a better leader. Because I got news for you. When you hire me as a VP of sales, or you hire any good VP of sales, they're coming in and they're doing exactly the same thing that I just described. When I come to be a VP of sales, I'm looking at the best reps, if you have no management, and I'm figuring out, are any of them hopefully eligible or have the raw chops for me to turn them into a manager? And then I want to turn them into a director. And I want to get them to do the whole thing for me. My job is to try to make it so I don't need to exist. So that's literally what I'm going to do anyway, if you bring in a good VP, that is the way they're thinking. And so if you already have some base talent on your team, oftentimes you really don't need that person. What you need is someone to facilitate the growth and development of the people on the team. And if you're growing fast enough, it's a full-time job, but oftentimes it's not. And that's where I saw this gap in the market to get into consulting, coaching, whatever. And it's just true. Every time I meet with people, they're always like, I'm trying to hire VP, trying to hire VP. I'm like, why? Well, you're trying to hire VP because you just want to hand off this entire responsibility to someone else. Well, maybe you got someone here on your team that you could actually do that with, but that person just needs some foundational resources, training and development to help them grow into that role. So that's what you should be thinking about providing rather than just thinking about hiring someone really expensive to just take over the whole thing. You don't always need to do that. So that I think is the right way 
to think about growing a business. Your goal and objective, one of them as a founder, should be to try to retain as many of your early employees as possible and to retain all employees as long as possible. It should be considered a massive failure to hire an executive, especially, and to let them go. But this has become something that is just, it's just done like common business, no problem. And now I wouldn't mind that if it was actually the right thing for the business. I wouldn't necessarily argue. I'm not sitting over here looking for some sort of cushy treatment for people. That's not really my personality. I'm logical. That's how I think about things. If it makes sense, well, then it makes sense. But it has never made sense to keep cycling people in and out and in and out and in and out. That only makes sense when you're trying to drive a narrative to raise a valuation of a business. It doesn't make sense for the actual growth of the business because you're constantly reteaching and restarting from scratch. The institutional knowledge is paramount to the success of the business. Unless you're selling something that is so simple that anyone can just really learn soup to nuts everything about your product in a day, but then the institutional knowledge is really what's priceless. And you run into these companies and sometimes they've grown so fast, they have 200, 300, 400 people in the office. And there's maybe only two or three of them that really can answer every technical question about the product. This is the result of A, either hiring way too fast, or B, it's the result of you keep losing your greatest people over probably really stupid reasons that could be avoided by either training and development, better coaching, better career opportunities, all of these things things. And it's all the stuff that everyone loves to brag that they have on their career pages, but no one ever backs it up, especially for executives, most especially for executives. I would love to see a list in SaaS of all the CEOs and founders in one column and just a check mark if they have ever provided real training, growth, and development for anyone on their executive team. They don't. That column would be basically empty. That's really sad. But that is what you get when the environment is that we're going to be more successful financially if we just raise the valuation of the business. It becomes about telling a story. And that story is great when you bring new characters in and out. But if it really is about the profitability of the business, which is the market we are living in today, then it becomes about growing a strong base of loyal, long-term employees that have a tremendous amount of institutional knowledge. Because at a certain point, they get to the point that they're invaluable to the business and they're providing so much added value that you don't even care how big their salary is. But when you have to keep rehiring VPs every six months or 24 months or 36 months, and you spend six months to recruit them, you pay recruitment fees on top of that, then you spend six months for them to even get to the point of really being able to talk like lingo about your product. This is the stupidest way to try to grow a strong team. It only makes sense. It only makes sense when valuation is the name of the game. It's the narrative game. It's the valuation narrative game. That is all it is. New character into the story makes for a juicy investor pitch. But guess what? Cycling in a lot of new characters on the leadership team for the customers, for the employees, for the people, it sucks.